Welcome to Story Story Night, where you hear true stories on a theme recorded live in Boise, Idaho. I'm your host, Jody Eichelberger. On this podcast, we get into a little trouble in our show inspired by the classic TV game show title, Jeopardy. As part of our season, Be In The Game, we are joined by special guest, a master of trivia, Mark Runsfold. Then Benjamin Burdick takes us on a journey that doesn't quite take off, followed by a song from our guest musician, Lori Lorraine Gilbert. It's game time and it's story time. Be careful. I do want to invite a special guest onto our stage. This is a person who has a long history with trivia. Please welcome to our story, story night stage, Mark Runsvolds. Hi, Mark. Hi, Jody. Welcome. So you're, you have a long history of trivia, I mean, going way back to a kid where you saw Jeopardy when you were at visiting family or whatever, but yeah. you also did some, some kind of competitions as you were growing up in school? I, I did. So uh, I, I guess the, the first one actually was probably the National Geographic Geography B, which I hadn't thought about for a long time. So I did that. Um, a ge geography bee. Geography so bee. So it's like a spelling bee, but you have to like identify rivers and oh. uh, countries. Um, is, I I went to the state competition in Sun Valley, and uh, I kind of froze up. I uh, there was like a, a series of countries, and you had to say which was most suited to agriculture, and I said Libya is not true <laughs> out of this group. And how old were you in that competition? I was like seventh grade, oh, so however right. old that is, 11, 12. Yeah, okay. Yeah, somewhere in Braces there. era. Uh, braces, uh, I, I didn't do that, I just did acne. Oh, okay. yeah. you got it. Yeah. It's, at least you could choose. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then from there, your next competition? My next competition, uh, there was a science quiz bowl in high school. Um, sponsored by INL, INEEL, whatever it was calling itself at the time, the National Lab. Um, so that was science focused, but it was, it was also kind of general knowledge. And uh, it was my first exposure to like, hey, uh, we're going to ask you a bunch of questions from all over the place. And uh, you, you start to peel out stuff that's just like was in the Sports Illustrated Almanac for Kids. <laughs> 1994 edition. I was reading. Yeah. I was reading Ranger Rick magazine. I don't Ranger, know if that Ranger Rick magazine. Absolutely. There's some good trivia in there. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that's that's part of like the foundation. So did you know as a kid that you were good at this, or is it through the process of this that you discovered, hey, this is something I have a talent for? I think it's kind of. I mean, it's it's all of that. There, there's like it's a certain way my brain's wired. Where if I don't know something, I just want to know it. It's like uh, you know every. Every strength comes from you, like, feeling a lack, I think. So uh, from a young age, I would, I had a school teacher for a mom. She would give me these things, like World Almanacs, and I would, I would go through them and, and learn things. And then in class, you know, I'd bring, bring this stuff up, and everybody would be like, hey, it's Mark who knows things. <laughs> so, and, and it's not a bad just nickname. Kind of, Mark who knows kind of things. Thing. Yeah, sure. At some point in, in college, I found this website, jarchive.com, and it has every it has every Jeopardy game going back to like the late 90s that people have uh, archived. It's like in the game board format. 
Um, so I, I started to go through that, and then I got this job that where I just sat at a desk and had like an hour of work and an eight-hour day. <laughs> so I, I would go through that like a lot, and uh, at a certain point, I was like, I think I can get like 80% of the Jeopardy questions, which is pretty good. So I tried out, um, went to an audition in Seattle, and then you just don't hear anything. Mm. Um, two years essentially passed, and they tell you that you're in the contestant pool for 18 months. So I signed up for, this is the 2011 Jeopardy uh, online quiz. I'd already done one two years prior. Um, I was signed up for it. It was happening the next week. I got a call from a number I didn't recognize. Um, like 75% of the time I wouldn't pick up, but I did. And it was Karina from Jeopardy saying, uh, "You, there's a taping on March 8th. March 8th, 2011. So we're almost 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, She's like, can you be in L.A.? And I was like, I, yes. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what that involves, but yes, I'll be there. Uh, so that's kind of the abbreviated version. Yeah, and uh, how did you do? Uh, well, I, I got there my first game. Uh, they, they do five in a row for a taping day, so a week on air is one day of taping. Uh, my first game I got drawn for Friday of these five, and I was just freaking out, um, basically just like, tunnel visioned at this point and that helped me I did really well I won and then had to come back two weeks later and that's that's the point where they start paying for stuff mm. like prior to that I paid my way paid for the hotel room but but once you got your hooks in them mm -hmm. they had to put me up for the, for the next visit mm -hmm. um, and then and then that was uh, you know starting off like feeling the uh, hey I'm the returning champion pressure um, I won my next game, um, and then it just kind of got harder from there because it was more and more thinking about where I was and what I was doing and, yeah. you know, the, all the big stuff too. Like, am I going to, am I going to be able to never work again? Like how much money am I going to make here? Is this, is this a Ken Jennings situation? Uh, uh, you know, do, college at the time, I was a terrible student, um, cause I didn't, I was in a major because it was the path of least resistance and uh, was was contemplating dropping out. So all that's going through my head and I'm hungry. Lunch hasn't come yet. <laughs> so, and then I get lunch and then the the episode immediately after lunch, I'm just kind of like, you know, a little bit of the, the digestion going on. And I, I lost. So I'd won four, lost my fifth. And uh, Ugh, if only you hadn't eaten that stroganoff. Yeah, it, and I think it was something like that. It was like poutine. <laughs> poutine. <laughs> yeah. That's what I had for lunch today. Yeah, which is great. It was delicious, but it, I didn't but have to play Jeopardy afterwards. No. Thank you very much, Mark. All of this to lead to our first featured storyteller, who comes to us from Boise Contemporary Theater and a lot of other previous productions. To hear his story of getting into trouble, please welcome to the stage Artistic Director of BCT, Benjamin Burdick. Thank you. Oh my gosh, I'm so nervous. I haven't been in a room full of people in for. Forever. Uh, just go launch in, Jody. Launch in. Whenever. Okay. Yeah. Okay. 
<sighs> I'll take you are an idiot for 25,000. Those words just kept pinging around in my mind over and over that day. But I'll get back to the question, which is the answer later. It was Christmas Eve, pre-9-11, when flying on planes, the rules were still a little bit lax. I was heading home for the first time in over a year. My friends from high school were also going to be around for the holidays. My brother was coming down from Alaska And I had just finished uh, uh, filming about 26 episodes of a television show, and so I was super excited to come home, not as, as my friend said, an actor, but like as an actor. L.A. to Reno, Reno to Boise, it was going to be easy peasy. And I remember the first announcement very clearly. There is a slight delay Snow in Reno, diverting to Sacramento, we should just be there for a little while. But that slight delay turned into 45 minutes and then an hour. It was no problem. I was sitting with my five new best friends because this was back in the day when Southwest had two rows of three seats that faced each other. And then across the aisle was a district attorney from Los Angeles who was super interesting and funny too. We were having a blast, but an hour turned into an hour and 15. People were getting restless and I watched the DA get up from his seat, walk to the back of the plane, And very shortly after, he came back with his sweater like this, holding what looked to be about a dozen beer cans. And I thought, that's odd, because I haven't seen a flight attendant in this entire hour and 15 minutes, nor have we heard any announcement from the cockpit. So... I kind of had to go to the bathroom. I also wanted to see what might be happening back there. I walked to the back of the plane, and sure enough, there he was, a man just hunched over the drink cart, throwing out cans of beer and liquor, little mini bottles of liquor to anyone who wanted it. He looked at me and was like, hey, you want a beer? And I was like, hey, I don't know, maybe I should have like six, kind of half-jokingly, but more serious than joking, because I had my five new best friends, and there they were. They just materialized in my hands, six cans of Budweiser. I walked back to the seats. I started handing them out, and there we were, drinking the last sips of our can of terrible beer. I put it on my tray table, and I thought, I should put this somewhere else. That's right when the flight attendant came walking back in. She looked down at the can of beer with a little bit of surprise, and then that look drifted slowly up to my face and turned from surprised to incredible disdain. And then she left the plane again. And I thought, oh, God, now I really have to pee. I'm nervous. Also, I might want to throw away the two mini liquor bottles that the guy also gave me, you know, just in case. So I went to the back of the plane when I got back to the seat. That's when the first announcement came. You know that sickly feeling in your stomach when you hear the principal come over the intercom? That's what it was. Will the people who took drinks from the drink cart, please come to the front of the plane. So, I looked at the district attorney to see what he was doing, and he was just sitting there staring straight ahead, stone-cold face. And so, you know, so did I. 
It was then, in the interminable silence, after the interminable silence, that the next announcement came. Will the people who took drinks from the drink carts please come to the front of the plane? And so I looked at the DA, and this time, he was, sh he was reading a magazine, and so I was like, you know what? So will I. There I was reading the magazine, and then she left the plane again. In the interim time, I thought to myself, this is terrible. And that same thing kept echoing through my mind. You are an idiot, except this time it was racked with guilt and tinged with fear. So when she came back onto the plane, I finally decided to do the right thing. And I walked up to her and I said, I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> this is stupid. Uh, there was a, there, people were just handing around beers and I grabbed one. And uh, I know that they are about $3 a can. And so I have a five. Please keep the change for your troubles. And this young flight attendant very warmly and very sweetly looked at me and said, it's okay, it's been taken care of. And I was like, great, somebody bought my beer, awesome. And so I sat down in my seat. I don't remember what I saw first, whether it was the bright yellow floor length dusters or the men carrying shotguns as they stormed onto the plane, or the look of satisfaction from the flight attendant. But I do remember very clearly what I saw last as they passed and went to the back of the plane. The words that were emblazoned on those bright yellow dusters, Sacramento Sheriff's Dept. And I had to pee really bad again. Uh, it was then when they came back to the front of the plane and I saw the young flight attendant vaguely gesture to our area that I did what I always do in this situation. I see what the hell the district attorney is doing. He is pretending to sleep. And so, you know, so do I. Nope, get up, all of you, all five, all six, let's go, outside now. They rush us out to the jetway where they handcuff all of us, including a large group from the back of the plane, notably absent from this group, the DA who started this whole goddamn thing. <laughs> there are many uncomfortable and awkward moments when you are standing on a jetway being handcuffed. One of them is when they don't have enough handcuffs and you have to then have the great good pleasure of being handcuffed to the guy you were sitting next to, a total stranger. I can't go through all of them, so I'll just give you some highlights. The first, I would say, are the handcuffs themselves. If any of you out there are into that kind of thing, I, no judgment, it's fine. For me, it was very tight and very painful. The second one 
is that my new cuff buddy decided that the best idea would be to start to berate these officers with gems like, um, don't you have anything better to do than arrest guys for maybe having one beer? Or I bet you guys get off on this kind of stuff. And I was like, oh my God, dude, please shut up. And then I just started vomiting out of my mouth to the sheriff who was closest to me. I was like, I don't even know this guy. Honestly, like we just are sitting next to each other. We're not, we're handcuffed, but we are not friends. And I would not really hang out with a person like this in real life. This was just a travel. And he just held up his hand and I was like, okay, sorry. The third most uncomfortable time is when they asked for our ID and I pulled mine out of my pocket, gave it to them and my new future cellmate couldn't get his out of his back pocket because, um, well, it was in his right pocket and my left hand and the handcuff and his right hand were unable to grab it. And so the sheriff looked at me and he said, get your buddy's wallet out of his pocket. And I was like, again, just want to be super clear. We're not buddies. He's more like, and he's like, stop, just get it out. And I was like, okay, sure. Yeah. It's very crowded in a jetway when a bunch of people are handcuffed either to each other or alone. And so the only way I could actually get his wallet is if I do si him around and then leaned very hard into his pectoral and sort of armpit as I reached all the way around, fishing through his back pocket, searching for his wallet while simultaneously, accidentally groping his ass. <laughs> Got it. The last and most humiliating is when Southwest made the announcement, ladies and gentlemen, this plane will be departing for Boise, Idaho. I looked down at my handcuff, shook my head. If this is not your final destination, please deplane and we'll try to find you a flight inside. People streamed off the plane. And as they did, there was a woman with her very young child, probably four or five. She stopped directly in front of me, looked me in the eye, and then looked down at her sweet little daughter and said, You see, honey? This is what happens when you don't follow the rules. <laughs> and all I could think of were my parents and my brother. And I thought, they have done way worse shit, so there is no worries there. That's not a problem. The real problem is that things had finally settled down and nothing was happening. And I looked to the sheriff and I was like, what's the deal? Why aren't we just all going on our merry way and getting back on the plane that's going to Boise, Idaho? And he said, well, they're trying to decide whether or not they want to press charges. And I was like, press, press charges? It's a $3 can of, it's like a, and it's a Budweiser for Christ's sake. Like that might be somebody paying me to take it off their hands situation. I don't, and he's like, well, the problem is, and he said it with way too much enjoyment and glee for this particular situation, I, I felt like. The problem is, is that you did it on an airplane, and so it's a federal offense, punishable by five years in jail or a $25,000 fine. And I had two thoughts. You are an idiot. And... You should have drank the little two bottles of liquor for a fine like that, for Christ's sake. <laughs> we indeed did not get charged with the federal offense of stealing stuff off of a plane. 
And as I went back on to grab my carry-on, the pilot was standing there. And I said, is there any chance? Because I'm going to Boise. I could just sit back down. And he said, well, you're going to have to listen. Or you're going to have to talk to the flight attendant. (laughs) I'm so sorry. I am really, it it was stupid. And I know that now. Um, Also, it's Christmas Eve. And I'm just, I haven't seen my family in like a year and a half. And my brother's down from Alaska. So I will just sit here and I won't say a word. And then you will never see me again. And she looked at me with that same warm smile. And very sweetly said, We don't like people like you on our flights. And I was like, Fair enough. (laughs) Sure. So, I don't have enough time to talk to you about the Motel 6 that I had to stay in in the most crazy, sketchy area of Sacramento or how I actually got home. That will be for double jeopardy. But tonight, I would like to take You Are an Idiot for nearly $25,000. Ding. Who was the luckiest bastard on earth that night? Ding, 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 ding. Thanks.
that was a really old folk song called Elzik's Farewell. Thank you. There were no lyrics in that one, but there's a story behind it. There was um, a man a long time ago who, who was going to go off to, to war, and he um, stayed at his mother's place one last time, and she said, she came down the stairs and said, I had a terrible dream, don't, don't go. And he said, I, I have to go. And she said, well, play me one last song. And so he played that song. He made it up on the spot. And um, he never came back. So it was Elzik's farewell. Thank you for listening. Story Story Night is funded in part by the Idaho Commission on the Arts and the National Endowment for the Arts. Thank you to our media sponsor, Radio Boise. Podcast production by Stephen Baldessari. Support this podcast by texting STORYPOD to 44321. Find out how to participate in our live show at storystorynight.org or visit us on Facebook. Story Story Night is a member of the Boise Arts and Culture Anti-Racism Coalition, which builds on our commitment to be a platform where people tell their own stories. I'm Jody Eichelberger. Thanks for being a part of our story.